Morning, everyone. Good morning, Anne-Marie. Good morning, Jim. And welcome morning. to those who are out there watching or watching us at Catch Up. So today's show is Grand Designs. How to use planning permission to boost your home's value. Everybody wants to boost the home value, don't they? So how do you feel about adding thousands to your home without making a single improvement? And that's what we're going to talk about today. So one of the magic words in property is potential. Um, and getting planning permission does increase the amount of the accommodation that you could have. And it's a great way to add more value and widen your audience. Um, but among the many possibilities, things to also consider are getting your planning permission or your building regulations approval. That can take some time. Loft and garage conversions. It's a big value add for people. Home extensions. Do you want to do that and add a footprint to your property? Redeveloping a house or land is another way to look at it. Create something actually that's just for you. Um, inspiring buyers with your plans, so you don't necessarily need to carry them out, but if you've got them in place, it's a good thing for buyers. Um, so this week's show basically is about turning potential into pounds. We all like to do that. Um, and using planning permission to boost your home's value without ever picking up a paintbrush. So what's your thoughts on that then, guys? Well, I'm in the I'm in the prime place where planning permission is really important, considering the size of the buildings and the developments in here. This yeah. is the, uh, this is down at Little Venice in London uh, today. So um, planning permission is everything for for these people. That, that's the only way they can get anything done here, um, and it definitely adds value. It definitely adds value, and there's a lot of things you actually can do. It's exactly what you said, Terry. There's a lot of things you actually can do without actually needing to uh, need to do anything. You know, you're only le really looking to to get the planning permission, I'm actually going through some uh, planning permission for someone just now. They're getting planning permission and they were asking me, should they do um, two three-bedroom terraced houses and uh, end terrace three-bedroom on three levels? Or should they do the end terrace three-bedroom on three levels and do four apartments, one bedrooms? Uh, mm -hmm. And I actually advise them because of the area. Yeah, because of the area and the fact that there's no garden, you're probably better going for the four one-bedroom uh, apartments and the three bedroom and terraced um, on three levels and mm -hmm. so so they'll get the plan permission for that the architect will go through the process and uh, and it'll add significant value to the plot because the mm -hmm. plot without planning permission maybe about 100 120 the mm -hmm. plot with planning permission probably about 250. And how much do you think that that planning permission cost him? So, I mean, you've just added that £150,000 on there, but actually for the person who's changing that plot into planning, what does that look like in expenditure for them? Uh, well, I'll give you an example of what happened to me. I actually bought a plot which had um, a few years back in the Leavenmouth area. Now, it was, it was a development that had started in the 1980s and there was seven properties, seven houses detached that was allowed on it, three bedrooms. Um, and they'd got through four and then the market slipped at that time. So they stopped building the other three and they just never did anything with them. It went up for sale um, in the late 2000s. No, probably actually just before the credit crunch. Yeah, just before the credit crunch, it went up for sale. Uh, I jumped on it. I bought it for uh, £55,000. I spent the best part of... £6,000 getting planning for it again um, and also getting a building warrant uh, for the design. So I spent £6,000 and subsequently sell, sold it the year later for £155,000. Whoa, that's like a £100,000 yeah. profit. Yeah. Yep. 
And it was as simple as that because what the what the people had failed to realise that it was actually service plots. Woohoo! Okay. <laughs> In other words, it had the sewage, it had the war, it had everything sitting there because it had been done before. But they had forgotten all this, and they actually thought the planning had lapsed. But the key here was the planning was still in force because as soon as you put one brick down for the foundation, that's the planning done. That's it. when it's been approved and you put you one brick it. down, the planning never lapses after that. Okay. If you dig a, if you that's how you see some developments where somebody's dug a trench and they've maybe got concrete foundation down and it's left for years because mm -hmm. that then keeps the planning in place and it doesn't allow it to lapse. So that's actually quite key. So that was one of the developments I did. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Uh, yeah, a house I'd bought, it was a repossession. You know, I'd bought it just before the credit crunch. Um, and upstairs was converted into a, a master bedroom with an ensuite bathroom. Um, and it, to get upstairs, it was literally just a set of steps in a wee cupboard that you open up and go up. So it strictly wasn't speaking. It was just, it was just an attic room more than anything. And yeah, it was a beautiful ensuite master bedroom. So I spent best part of um, planning and building control, building one and doing the works, maybe about, about 15,000 overall to get the works approved and get the new staircase put in, get the building one in place and uh, um, and all the complying with all the regulations and getting the contractor to do it. And it, so I bought it for about 75, 80, 90, and I think it was about 120 when I was finished. Okay. So it's definitely worthwhile if you know what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. If you know what you're doing and you understand what you're doing, it's easy enough to do. That's why most people come to me anyway because I've got that experience and that wisdom of doing it myself, mm -hmm. and so they know straight away that you know I can I can see straight I can see right away the added value in what in what they're doing. Mhm. Mm mhm. Mm okay. So that's great. I mean, obviously we're going to cover quite a bit of that anyway today, but it's good to get yeah. your insight to that in a real life experience, Jim. Yeah. So getting permissions, obviously we spoke about that as one of the key things. So what does that look like, Anne-Marie, getting permissions? Um, well, getting permissions, you know, um, you need to either get both planning permission or building regulations approval from your local authority. But once you've got that permission, you know, whether you carry out the work yourself or if you sell the property with that permission in place, that's definitely going to be a plus for you. Um, at least people buying the property won't have to worry about having to do that. Um, and as Jim just said, you know, you're, you're adding value um, straight away, really, mm -hmm. to your property for, just for the potential, <laughs> that word yeah. potential. I think that's the thing. I mean, submitting detailed plans is key, isn't it? Um, so I think one of the things you have to do is look at your aspirations. You've obviously done that, Jim, and that, that examples that you've given us. But look for aspirations of lo from local buyers or local landlords or local builders um show them what your home can deliver as well so if you're repurposing your loft or your garage that's a big value add but you generally only need simple building regulations as you said there jim um yeah unless you're planning to extend it beyond the current building line so unless you're changing the, the actual footprint of the property i guess a large home extension will almost certainly need full planning permission and i think that people need to understand that before they commence things um, but something smaller could get around that under permitting development rules. We often see that jumping around and about, don't we, that sometimes people have maybe added an extension and then suddenly they go, oh, I didn't actually think I need the planning permission yeah. for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or the other thing is that they put an ensuite shower room in their house and they don't realise they need a building warrant for it. Mm -hmm. So planning, uh, planning is to do with exterior, mm -hmm. uh, building warrant is to do with interior. Mm -hmm. 
So that's a really simple rule of thumb there then, actually, Jim, isn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think homes and com conservation areas, we get a lot of that in Fife, of course, in the East Nook. So we've got a lot of conservation areas here. Um, we'll have stricter limitations um, on altering their external appearance, particularly the street-facing elevations. We often see that if we're going to the East Nook as well, Jim, don't we, that actually sometimes the front of a property will be the traditional look of the property from when it was first built. But the exterior yeah. is where all the extensions will be and the modernization and the changing and you'll kind of go to the back and then all of the houses are different go to the yeah. front and they're all exactly the same this is why as well as that most of the houses in conservation areas and also in areas where it's listed um they insist if you want to put double glazing in um you put the the traditional the same like for like and they will allow you now possibly most of the time to get away with just um ultra thin double glazing uh, um, but like with like for like um, um, uh, windows, mm -hmm. so typical Sachin case is usually probably in before, but they can they allow you to put back, but they don't expect you to put back the single glaze again. It, mm -hmm. it just depends who you get, I think, and uh, mm -hmm. in, in the planning department and in, in, in historic Scotland to allow that to happen. Mm -hmm. um, but it does take a wee bit of time to do, it and it's worth it. Some people actually just don't bother, and then they end up putting a double glazing unit inside the single glazed uh, yes. window because the sill's deep enough to do it. Um, and that then gets that then that doesn't need any permission at all. We often see that actually, Amory, when we go yeah. to the East Nook, don't we? Because the, yeah. the walls are usually so thick and they've got window seats that the, you can actually add that additional bit inside the property, don't we? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's definitely quite quite common. And that's a good way to get around it as well. You've got the insulation mm -hmm. yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think in general, and unless your plan is something radical. Um, most applications go through quite smoothly, um, particularly for those that are tried and tested examples um, and some of those things we're going to cover here. And again, one of the things that I always look at, and I'm sure you do this when you're doing viewings, Anne-Marie, is that if I'm in a particular area where there is maybe considerations for that, conservations, etc., the key thing I always do is look down the street and see what other houses look like. Yes. If they've had an extension, etc., chances yes. are that actually okay. it's going to be okay in some shape or form, isn't it? That's right. That's right. And I always try to use that as an example as well. Well, this is what you can do. And if you look across the road there, they've done it. So there shouldn't yeah. be any problems getting permission. I always, you know, use that as well to let them know. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So one of the things we've talked about is converting lofts or garages, Amory. So do you want to talk us through what that part looks like? Um, yeah, so, um, I mean, garages and lofts um, have long been favourites for increasing a home's accommodation. And some of the most successful designs um, where you've seen, you know, that could include a luxury bedroom, um, bedroom suite in the roof with a private bathroom, and possibly even a terrace, um, which is really lovely, you know, building a terrace on that so you can, you know, um, look over your, your garden and things. Um, and also, um, peace for parents above all the mayhem. <laughs> So just leave <laughs> downstairs and you've got your own, you know, private space upstairs. So that's always a plus. Um, or even um, a pair of children's um, bedrooms in a loft with a shared shower room um, to ease mm. the strain and, you know, of the main bathroom. And it's great for grown families, I think. Um, dedicated office, wellness space or a guest room on top of the house. Mm -hmm. Again, top of the house, away from the normal everyday family thing. I think that's that's really good. Um mm and an attached garage becoming a natural extension of the ground floor with an additional living room, then for the kids, granny annex, study, you know, the list goes on really how you'd like to, you know, utilize it. And also a garage um, at the end of a garden, turn it into the perfect studio or workspace um, away from the hubbub of the house. 
um, but still close to home. I like to call them man caves. <laughs> <laughs> they can be lady caves, Henry. Yeah, yeah. I was the way to say it's like, is it politically correct to call it a man cave now? Eh? <laughs> a, a, a people cave. <laughs> people cave. It's true. Some of the things but, that you spoke about there are really quite positive things that people do, and that you often see that, especially with children's in attic rooms being converted. And then what they do is they put one of those Jack and Jill bathrooms in, which I always think are really great, so you can access yeah. it from both rooms, and it's a good way yeah. of keeping the kids um, or the parents if they decide to go in there, kind of in separate areas, so you almost feel that you've got that separation and you can close the doors, isn't it? Yes, yes, definitely, definitely. You see, you see it quite a lot in Cooper as well. You know, some of the new builds in Cooper that were originally built, they had the integrated garage off the side of the house um, and how that's now been changed into a family room or a playroom or a home office. Um, yeah. Some actually have actually changed it into a bedroom and then just put an ensuite off the back as well, which mm -hmm. is prime space. Now, you could argue that they've taken away the garage, but what they do is they just put a, a timber shed out the back garden um, yeah. and a, a big enough one that allows for, for bikes and that to, get, to put in. And that mm -hmm. then just avoids, because most people actually with their garages, um, they actually still... Uh, use them just as a store. They don't actually use them for the car at all. Some garages on originally were built weren't actually designed to take a car. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember seeing some uh, programme on television where they actually tested some of the new built houses and put a car in and literally you had to climb out the sunroof because <laughs> you, couldn't, you, couldn't, you couldn't get out the door. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so, so it's the, it, they're prime usually to typically, and, and with the conversion it doesn't cost much because it's there already. So mm -hmm. technically, you don't really need planning to change it. You need a building one to, mm -hmm. to change the interior uh, as mm -hmm. to what it is. You might need planning for the outside because you'll take away the garage door and you'll put a window in. So you might need planning to do that. Um, but but ideally, most people, just, again, most people just do off-street parking as long as you've got two or three spaces for the front for putting off-street parking. You've obviously got probably a driveway which will take two cars anyway. Mm -hmm. Some people actually just extend the... Um, the monoblock uh, mm -hmm. into the into the garden a wee bit just to accommodate for maybe three uh, three cars as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a sign actually. I know we're kind of going off track here a wee bit, but that is a sign of modern times, though, Jim, isn't it? Yeah. As you know, as you know, every time when I come up to your driveway, there's like about five vehicles in it because obviously the family are all still at home and everyone's driving, so everybody has a car and everybody has their social yeah. kind of pieces as well. So you often see that. And I actually genuinely can't recall ever going to a property in the last 18 months and going into a garage and seeing a car in there. It literally is no. always used for something else. Yeah. It, it's just usually mountain bikes and road bikes um, and possibly a workshop to, to the back of the, the garage itself. Um, mm -hmm. And that's about it. And maybe somebody, if somebody's got a, a really good classic motorbike. I mean, I've got uh, my camper van can go in the garage. Um, it's fine sitting outside the now, but I've actually got another van inside the garage that, yeah, right now because I've got I've got I've got a double garage. One mm -hmm. side's full of the stuff that I think I'll use again sometime for spare parts, <laughs> as, <laughs> as you do. Yeah. <laughs> if any if anybody needs if anybody needs a um, spare parts for a bin a binatone tease made from nineteen seventy nine, uh, then I'm your man. Uh, just <laughs> just hook me up, and uh, and you'll get spare parts for it if you're needing it. Um, but literally, that's that's what it is. So garages and lofts are ideal for that because lofts are just as bad. Everybody puts all their junk in there. And literally, the only thing that comes out of that loft every year is the Christmas tree yeah. and the decorations. Yeah. Apart from that, everything just stays up there forever. And, mm. and you kind of think to yourself, why on earth do we keep it up there? What is the point? Mm. If it's going to stay up there for the next 20 years, 
And then we decide to move. It's almost like it becomes a, a barrier to moving because we've got to keep this stuff. But if you've never had it, if you've never used it for 20 years and you've never looked at it for 20 years, what's the point of keeping it? Um, so are you applying that wisdom to yourself, Jim? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm trying to get round I'm trying to get around this mental process of downsizing at some point in time to a two-bedroom semi-detached bungalow. But it, is a massive but, it does, thing. but it does have a massive roof above it. It can be converted. So that'll be where all my junk goes again. I'll just take it from one house to the next. That's what happens, Jim. Honestly, so as you know, that's how we kind of started our journey. You sold our house for us. Um, and we downsized, but we had moved a, over the last 15 years, we'd moved two times before that point. And literally when we moved this last time to downsize to here, I still had boxes in the loft originally marked up from the first move 10 years ago. And I literally did say to Billy, what is the point in even opening this box? Because whatever's yep. in there has never been needed. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you do need to be a little bit ruthless with yourself in that. Yeah. But there's a whole show out there about that, guys, if you want yeah. to go into our podcast. I've seen... Listen, I've seen in East Nook as well, Brayhead, for example, and Pitt and Weem, I've seen people actually just convert their attic room um, literally with a metal um, Ramsey ladder that comes down and into an office upstairs. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, it's, yeah. been, it's been classic use of a room. Uh, mm -hmm. And then when you look at they've got Velux windows in them. When you look at the window, it's like, wow, panoramic view straight across, mm -hmm. right across um, the whole of the fifth or fourth and almost like 180 views. Mm -hmm. uh, you kind of think to yourself, there's a real golden opportunity to... I actually do some sort of, I wouldn't say development, but just get some permissions and make sure that's in a position where you could add significant value. You might not need it right now, but when you go to sell your house or when you go to actually get your house valued for remortgage purposes, this is a really good one. Get this now. And when you get it revalued for mortgage purposes, the loan to value comes down. Therefore, you get a better mortgage rate as a result, only because you've now sort of utilised that as another usable room even if it's an attic room and it does add the value so you've got you've added you've put no money into this at all you've just repurposed and redefined this room and then it's added all that value to the end which actually you use the value comes around for the mortgage purposes values the house again it goes to a higher level therefore your loan to value mortgage is a lot lower therefore you get a better rate and a better mm -hmm. deal from the bank mm -hmm. all because you do that there's another bonus of doing it you don't need that's to sell awesome. yeah that's a massive bonus, actually, Jim. That's not something that I thought about. So that's really good advice there. Mm -hmm. When we're talking about conversions, I mean, a garage or loft uh, living accommodation, if you are going to get plans for that, there's a lot of things to think about here as well. So, you know, it will, it will require installation because it generally doesn't have that. It'll potentially require electricity. Some modern builds, obviously, that's already in garages. But if you've got an older property, you need to think about that. As you said yeah. there, Jim, you might need planning permission because you're going to need natural light in those rooms as well. Is it yep. going to really add value if there's no natural light? You would have to question that. Um, ventilation and heating is a big thing as well. Um, so remember to include all of those estimated costs alongside your plans because that will allow the potential buyers, if you're selling mm -hmm. the house with plans, to understand actually what is going to be involved cost-wise to them, potential. Yeah, we've even got, uh, you've seen it before and you've seen it as well, Amory. we've even got people that just actually get the permission and sell the house with the permissions. Yeah, and, exactly. and it's added yeah. the value to the end result, and it makes it uh, the great thing is as well, it actually opens it to a wider audience. Yeah. It will potentially buy your house because mm -hmm. because now your house instead of being a two bedroom semi could be a four bedroom. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah. And if it's a four bedroom, then you've got a bigger audience because you've got people that want a three bedroom, you've got people that want a four, you've got people that want the two. And maybe have a, you know, they're maybe starting off in their journey, but then they think to themselves, this could be a family home that could live in forever and mm. actually a lot of years and just actually develop upstairs when it comes the time, the, the time comes necessary. And I've yeah. seen that loads and loads of times. And that then, when you do that as a younger family and actually stay in the existing house, saves you over the years the solicitor cost, the staging cost, the moving costs, and everything. Yeah. involved and it gives everybody stability now you could say well that's pretty boring and you you know that's it's it, you you want that variety as the spice of life and all the rest of it but i tell you what boring actually saves you a lot of money mm-hmm. you don't need to be you don't need to be excitable yeah. you don't need to sell your house all the time there is opportunities where you can actually add significant value stay exactly where you are but that's why a, a good I, I would say a good estate a great estate will add value to the to that that process and that's where that that's where for me personally the added value is for me i've literally saved everybody that money before i walk in the door so the fee is basically paying me for the advice i've just given you and you're getting me for nothing in the process Yeah. No, it's good actually to understand that advice and it is about adding values, you say, and we often get this, Anne-Marie, when we're registering people, when we, one of our questions is, you know, obviously you want to know where they want to live, but it's also how many rooms are you looking for so that we know what we're marketing to them. And they will often say too, well, actually, I don't mind if it's three as long as, or if it's two, but one of the other rooms can be converted into something else. So people are always thinking about that. So necessarily, yeah. what it is today, what could it be tomorrow? So yeah. those plans add so much value potential. Yeah. Definitely, they'll say, you know, I'd like a two two bed minimum. I really want a three, but if there's room for potential, I will take the yeah. two bed. That mm-hmm. is such a now, that comes up all the time. You don't need to get the cost of getting plans done and everything like that. You can just get an outline sketch and you can get outline planning permission, which is almost like a watered down version of full planning permission, but it's just running it by a local authority saying, what do you think about converting this to a two bedroom upstairs? and actually the attic itself, what, what's your thoughts on that? And they then come back and say, yeah, okay, we think that's probably about right. You can also just get a, a, a what do you think from the mm. local authority as well in yeah. advance, um, just as a primer to say that if you do put planning permission forward, will you actually, will you actually more than likely approve it? Um, mm. So there's, there's, there's various different degrees of the planning process and, and, and depending on what you want to achieve, and how much value it could add to the to that um, overall result in your in your property at the end. Um, there's there's often it will determine the choice that you actually make on which one you go for. So there's the what do you think? There's the outline, and then there's the full planning permission. Yeah, yeah, good. I think um, the next thing we want to talk about. We've talked about converting lofts and garages there, but as you said there, Jim, adding a home extension. So. I don't know, home extension, Amory, what does that look like? Well, um, I mean, have you ever envisaged turning your kitchen into a fabulous open plan family space um, or notice the potential to add another floor or more bedrooms? Um, has a neighbour done it already? We covered that mm-hmm. earlier. You know, that's always um, always a good one. Um, and extensions can truly transform a property um, um, a property's place in the market. And some of the best examples we've seen include adding one bedroom over an attached garage with a first floor extension that blends seamlessly um, with the house um, and the street, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, feeling the side return of a period property to widen the kitchen, 
um, create a spacious and modern family hub across the back of the house. And we covered that as well. Often with um, bio folding um, doors spilling out into the garden. I just oh, love that. And it's all just one. It's so lovely. My brother just did that actually um, to his property. Jim, Jim's just smiling because the two of us totally did a complete girly reaction. They were like, oh, that's lovely, isn't yeah. it? And Jim's like thinking, it's just doors. Uh, I'm not really. I'm smiling because I'm needing to take my jacket off because it's so oh. hot down here. <laughs> oh, yeah, it is okay. boiling out here. Oh, really? Yeah. It's quite warm up there. Yeah, it like you could be in Venice, never mind little Venice. Yeah, yeah. it's nice. Really nice. All the canal barges uh, going back and forward and everybody just bus hustling, bustling for the rest of the day. But I really need to take this uh, take this off because it's roasting. Yeah, I am cooking really. out here, and and literally it's just ten o'clock in the morning. Uh, so I I I I'm looking forward to seeing what it's like for the rest of the day. Yeah, wow. Well, you get your cream, Jim. You'll have a big yeah. head, not otherwise. I'm, I'm deliberately I'm deliberately trying to get <laughs> the canal boats going past in the background. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think you can put an extension on those. <laughs> no, <laughs> tell you what. <laughs> But you go not. up Little Venice and stuff like that, and you see what they've done there, and you see they would have planning permission, by the way, for that. They would need planning permission to do certain things up there, to have a garden out the side, because there is areas that are actually just specifically um, allocated for the actual boat owners themselves, the pitch. So that does, I, I think that actually does need planning permission to do that. Um, so that's, a, that's another thing, that actually, if you've got a houseboat and you want to moor it, and you want something to decide, I think you actually have to go some through some sort of approval or plan process to, to do it um, in, in certain areas. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, as I was saying, <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, building an extra floor at the back of, um, at the back, pushing out from the roof line with a large dormer to create more or bigger rooms, um, mm -hmm. as we were speaking about before. Um, <clears throat> so if you'd like to know which extensions add the, the value to your property in five, um, you know, you can give us a call. We can give you some advice on that as well. So that's what we're here for too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I, think, I think what's important with there as well is that we see it, don't we? And we've sold properties that have done these things. Um, yeah. And we've seen, you know, buyers come along who are saying, this is really what I'd like, can it be done? So it's good for us to be able to, Give them those case studies and examples really isn't it i think yeah, that's what yeah. it's about it's about the knowledge of your agent as well jim isn't it there's some cracking properties out there that we've walked in and they've literally look at scooney hill road in st andrews look at what they did there at the one that we sold they, they, they put a front a front porch on it and then they opened up the hole downstairs i mean they put a support beam in the middle i think i think that's what it was um but it, it wasn't intrusive it was put in the right place because it was part of where the original hall went up anyway so they took the hall the hall away and um, the hallway away and opened it right up into the um uh, living room area at the front the dining room area at the rear and then the kitchen off the side but the whole place was opened up downstairs that's the first time i've actually seen a property in st andrews and scooney hill road actually done like that um so so it's, it's possible to do it anybody out there it's it's thinking about you know do i want can i do this should i do this or is it possible there is a template and a blueprint for it already. That, that's another thing as well. You think uh, out there that uh, you possibly might be able to do something and you're not really sure. Look up planning, five planning online and actually just check in your street for similar types of properties that have possibly got planning permission or been approved already and, it, and the job's been done. Because then all these plans are there for that property and it's maybe similar to yours. Mm -hmm. You're saving yourself a fortune because it's right there in front of you. 
It's already mm-hmm. been done. All the plans, the ground floor and the upper floor, um, from what it was already, and most most ex-local authority houses, for example, are all the same, you know, mm-hmm. originally. And, and that's what it is. The plan there is originally from what it was, and then the template is for what it's going to become. So mm-hmm. all the drawings are done for you already. So you mm-hmm. have an idea without actually even spending a penny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We've got a couple of comments, actually. Um, Andrea makes a really good comment here. So Andrea says, also, you have to remember that some houses will have to have listed building consent as opposed to planning consent. So always best yeah. to ask your local council. I think that's a really good point, isn't it? Which yeah. is why I talked about historic Scotland mm-hmm. and the fact that they, they, if, it's, if, it's a, if it's an A, B or C listed property, um, you will have to have some sort of authority and, and, and uh, approval from them as well. That has to go by them. But that's part of the planning process. When you put planning in, they actually send it out to all the various bodies. Um, mm-hmm. It'll have a stakeholder in this, are, you know, um, are instrumental to this. And they will then go back and see if they have any objections to it, as mm-hmm. well as they send it around all the neighbours. Um, it, it will affect in some sort of... I'm not really sure exactly how many houses they do, but they do sell, send it around a lot, even though it's nothing to do with it, some of the other ones behind them. Um, just to say that, you know, this is going through, uh, you've got your chance to put any comments in or objections in just now. But the objection can only be in... It has to be in, in, in a legal matter. It can't just be because it's your opinion. Oh, right, OK, I'm not going to get the sun at three o'clock in the afternoon um, for, for one hour, actually. That's you know, that'll know that'll no fly. Mm-hmm. Um, so pro- possibly think <laughs> I would say as a neighbour, think about what you're about to say before you say it online, because it's public record and everybody else can see your comment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you could end up neighbours falling out with you, each other because of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's key, isn't it? About if you do have neighbours that are quite close to you and you're not kind of in a large outdoor space surrounding and separating you. Yeah. I think you do need to take that into consideration, don't you? And that takes us really on to the next uh, topic, actually, redeveloping a house or land. Um, I mean, depending on the size and location of your home, which kind of roughly what we were speaking about there, you might get a higher price by selling it to a developer, as you said earlier, Jim, with that example you gave, or selling it to another business who will turn it sometimes into something else, um, perhaps. Um, possibilities yeah. that you potentially could explore are... A large double-fronted home um, could potentially be turned into separate houses or apartments. And that's the example you just gave there, Jim, about the advice you've given someone recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you've got to remember as well, if you're, if you're thinking about putting the planner on it to try and sell it for a fortune, um, you'll only you'll not sell it for what the end result is, um, minus the builder's costs, because they have to make a profit as well. And remember, they're taking the risk. You'll get what you'll get a, a portion of what that end result could be, and a typical example is um, when we looked at that other development. I talked about the four flats. That each flat will end up being about one hundred fifty thousand, and the end house will be about two fifty. So you're talking about six, seven, eight, eight fifty. So then you you know it's uh, to have a decent profit and have somebody develop and and and, and repurpose that building. Um, yeah, you in for about four hundred thousand at least, or, or maybe maybe a bit more. So you have to have a good profit there for the for the builder, or nobody will buy it. Yeah. You'll never get it sold. So admittedly, there's a margin there of six hundred thousand, but that has to be with the profit for the developer and taking the risk, and also uh, the build, which will be a lot to fit out because 
they'll have to they'll have to now comply with all the building regulations and all the new energy efficiency targets uh, and the net zero thing you know they might end up turning around and saying well we will insist that you put ground source heat pumps you know heat pumps in or solar panels on the roof mm-hmm. um, which is an additional cost which wasn't factored in in the first place so so the builder has to make all, uh, money as well and you can't just assume that you'll just take off the bill costs and that's the price you'll get for it yeah yeah no it's just true um but it's not just about actually separating into separate apartments i mean they might even knock it down and replace it with a whole new building potentially yeah yeah you know potentially, there's yeah. that element um a large garden could support building another house on it we see that sometimes especially when you've got these tracks and then all of a sudden this house has got so much ground that no one really realizes is there so there's an opportunity there for building another house on it um if convenient access has obviously got to be considered and has to be a possibility, you might even be able to sell just that portion of your ground. Again, we've had that as well, Jim, haven't we, where someone actually has just sold off a bit of their garden. You see that in St Andrews quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you see that in St Andrews quite a bit. Um, I'm living in a house which actually the, the plot was bought, uh, bought next door. And then basically what she did was build another house onto the existing house that I've got. Mm-hmm. Um, before we moved in and then created a double garage at the side. So our corner plot is 1,500 square metres rather than actually the, um, probably the 750 it was in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So we've got basically got double the size of house on, on, our, on, on the same land in the, in the same street. Um, so so there, is, there is opportunities again um, to repurpose, redevelop land, you just have to get the right person. There is opportunities as well where you see there's a huge amount of land. Classic is Strathkinnis. So the old florists at Strathkinnis, they had 13 acres of land out the side. Um, and that's where all the flowers came from for the area. Uh, and they, they, he grew all the flowers over all the years. And I only know this because I sold the cottage down the front, which was part of that development, um, or, or original development. So he had all the 13 acres. And then I went, I went to a planner and I had a look at it, and, I, and, and the, the, biggest, the biggest problem is access. Mm. Even though there's 13 acres there, it could potentially be redeveloped. And if you, if you had the proper access, it would have, but there is no access. Mm. There is no proper access that you can get into this in order mm. to make that happen. Therefore, that land, potentially, for 13 acres, could have been worth millions. Mm-hmm. But now it's literally just worth, what, 10,000 an acre as arable land? because mm-hmm. that's all it can be used for mm-hmm. um so that's that's another thing uh, again it, it it takes an agent or a specialist with the knowledge and expertise um of that um to understand exactly what you could be doing and you couldn't be doing with what you've got there now uh, we are equally we do walk into a lot of houses where people go i've got a huge garden out the back the next door neighbor wants to buy it uh, what am I going to charge them? And when I come out and say, well, it's probably about five grand, they go, what? How's it no 50? <laughs> and it's like, because it's, it's, it's just about a land. It's no good to anybody. It doesn't add any value, really. Or I'm thinking about buying next door neighbor's garden. You know, how much should I pay for it? And and I, they're thinking that they should pay thousands, tens of thousands of pounds for it. And I'm saying, well, can it be used for anything other than the fact that you back onto each other and you're taking a bit of their land? Mm-hmm. Well, no. Well, it's just worth about a couple of thousand pounds. Mm-hmm. Really? Wow. I never realised that. So they and, and then they go away and I've saved them an absolute fortune. Because yeah. <laughs> they yeah. were about to part with about twenty thousand pounds for yeah. a bit of land that's literally worth a few thousand. And that would never have added the value when they went to resell that. Mm-hmm. 
Because yeah. it's, it's no use for anything other than just a bit of ground. Mm-hmm. You can't do anything with it. It's a really important point you're making, actually, about the access thing, because I had exactly a similar situation a few weeks ago. I was at a property and they had a huge amount of land at the back that you wouldn't have even known was there. And the person was saying to me, oh, you could easily build another house there. And I said, well, there's a potential to do something. I said, but how do you get access to it? Because there was houses all around it. There was no way of getting a driveway. You couldn't come yeah. in from the back. So actually, there was no value in the land, exactly what you said, because it could That's be right. repurposed. Yeah. Yeah could be repurposed so I mean that is something for people to think about as well but actually we see this often as well Jim don't we where we have like a change of application so you know your house actually especially around about here where we've got a lot of older buildings um could potentially be changed for use as perhaps a nursing home a hotel um, we got Walton House and Leaving yeah. you know Walton House and Leaving was the um the previously the uh, social security uh, yeah. national insurance building mm-hmm. uh, and then that was comp- that was changed into a nursing home uh, exactly. quite easily Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So there, there's ways that you can do that as well, and that could attract commercial buyers. So that's kind of a different look to it as well if you've got that type of building. Um, but before you make formal applications, as we said, it's good to chat with your neighbours, understand what they're thinking about what you're suggesting, um, address their concerns early, because um, that will help you smooth the wheels of getting your permission as well. Because if your neighbour starts to complain, it can start getting a bit awkward and uncomfortable. Um, what you really want is to have zero objections and everyone be happy with it. And that actually saves on delays as well. Um, if you're potentially looking to make the changes yourself, or as I say, sell the property with planning that's already granted. Yeah. That's what you're Diploma- Diplomacy is the key here. Mm-hmm. As I said before, and I go back to it, it's the horrible comments that get put online sometimes by neighbours who fall out with each other because it's not been approached properly. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's important to get a, to be honest, I wouldn't say it's even an estate agent to go out and tell you this, because most estate agents won't understand all this. Mm. Um, that's why it's important to get some sort of expert out there that knows what they're talking about. Now, we know all the people that know, but I've done this all before as well myself personally. So I understand all the processes. Mm. Um, so it's easy for me to go out and advise people, and then putting them in touch with the right people, the experts who can actually help them on the next part of that journey. So initially, my consultation is just like, what are you trying to achieve? Where are we trying to go with this? Is it actually going to add significant value? Is it not going to add significant value? If it's going to add significant value, then let's put you in touch with the right experts, the people I know that I've used before that actually know what they're doing. And I've actually done this before, time and time again, uh, all the time. I've, I've seen pubs converted, smugglers. I've seen schools converted, the Wade, the South Wade. Um, I've, so I've been involved in all these sort of processes. And as I say, you know, I, I kind of, I am the go-to person now for most architects in the area uh, mm-hmm. in terms of when they speak to their clients and they go, well, we should have got it to get an idea of what this is value is, what the value of this is and what, what will appeal to the right market. Um, most of them will just refer straight to me and mm-hmm. send their client to me and, and I get all the drawings and then I look at them all and then I come to an, a, an assessment of speaking mm-hmm. to all the right people that I know uh, it will know that and have experience in these matters for what I'm dealing with. Um, to get the right conclusion and the right result for the client and what they should be doing next. Look at that beautiful conversion we did as well um, that was recently done at St Michael's Church in Cooper into the nine oh, apartments. Yep. Yeah. Gorgeous. We've got one of those that we're, we're selling just now and they're absolutely stunning, Anne-Marie, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the natural, the, the original features, but really ultra-modern, a bit mm-hmm. of both. 
ceilings. This was a. This was a. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm in a train of thought here about when I spoke to Craig and Craig came to me about this. Mm-hmm. Um, Craig, the developer, um, had a huge issues with uh, planning, with building control, and what he could and couldn't do. And I remember coming to me quite a lot to actually ask what he, what, what could he do next, or or would this work, or would that work, um, in order for us to get the suit. And this was even when the process was going on after getting the building warrant, because he was coming across things in the build process that weren't uh, that weren't what he thought. So then he had to change tact. I mean. Mm-hmm. The intention was to keep this beautiful, um, um, uh, I wouldn't even call it a, a, a ceiling. It's not really a ceiling rose, is it? Because it was just this absolutely beautiful, uh, massive uh, sculpture in the ceiling, um, architectural, you know, embedded in the ceiling. And they ended up having to cover it up. But the intention in the first place was actually to keep it in the main hall. So you would walk into this main hall where everybody was off of, the communal hall, and you would just see this beautiful architecture right above it. But they had to cover it up because mm-hmm. it was unveiled in the planning and in, in the building process that there were certain things that they didn't expect in terms of structural. Therefore, they had to put other things, other structural measures in. Uh, and therefore, that then affected this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then building control turned around after visiting and said, can't have that now. Um, and then Craig came back to me and said, you know, what's, how's this going to affect things? What could I do to, to keep the value there? But actually actually take it away now. So we went through a number of scenarios and we came up with the right solution. And marvelously, we set a new price point for two bedroom and one bedroom apartments in Cooper with that, with that development. Mm-hmm. It, it just blew everybody out of the water because everybody yeah. went, you'll never get that for them. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we just we just went, nah, I, you know, never say never to me. This is just an opportunity to prove you're wrong. That's it's just like a dog with a bone when somebody says that to you, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me it can't be done and I'll show you how it can. Yeah. yeah. I know this has taken us out of Fife a little bit, Jim, but I mean, I know you go to Aberdeen quite often and one of the buildings I love there, and it stays with the church theme, is that big church on the corner on Union Street that's now yeah. the, the bar and restaurant, Soul Bar. That is mm-hmm. beautiful, but obviously their consent, they had quite a few limitations. So they have like a DJ at night and like the minister's pulpit and everything's still up there. And that's where the DJ bit does in yeah. all of the original stained glass windows with the Jesus depicted and all the kind of religion things are there. And it's just so beautiful that they've managed to keep all of these original things. You would, you would think, you would think there's an assumption that it, in that, in that context, Perry, that they were lucky. You would mm-hmm. think there's an assumption when you look at a development that, planning would actually say, yeah, we'd want to keep all that and we'd want to keep this and we'd want to keep that because that's historical purposes for the building. But there's no there's no sort of listing on the property or no conservation interest in it at all, then planning generally turns around and say, no, we probably need rid of that in order to do this or this or that. And, you, and you're like, really? Mm. Why would you want to get rid of this? Yeah, and, well, but that's, that's planning for you. That's mm-hmm. that's what happens. And, and it's and it's having the right people in your corner in order to in order to argue that because if you're getting rid of that, that could potentially be devaluing what you've got, mm-hmm. um, and and in the course of the of what you're doing and your mm-hmm. and your plans, mm-hmm. um, and and you can end up with less money than you actually think. Uh, yeah. So that's why it's that's why it's good to have the right people in your team before you start the journey to know exactly where you stand and what you can do next. Mm-hmm. 
definitely and that is a really really beautiful building and they've got some beautiful big lamps and candles and everything that's, that shine off all of the different multicolored glass and it's added so much value to it for the purposes that it serves today so if anybody's out there and you go into Aberdeen go to Solbar because it is fantastic anyhow I digress <laughs> but uh, it's all about inspiration so inspiring buyers with your plans is what we're kind of talking about there and some of those things that we've spoken of kind of do that I mean selling the potential of planning permission is about more than just bricks and mortar and we've just talked about some examples there where actually it's about retaining as well some of the beautiful parts of a building um, it's about painting a picture for your buyers it's about getting them excited about the property and the potential um, and it's also about something that they can't see yet um, so make sure that your plans are clear and that you can really convey that to them I think that's the key thing here otherwise it's just a piece of paper and it's not worth anything is it yeah and Jim will you stop yeah. showing us all that nice sunshine and water <laughs> yeah, it's making me want to be there We'll be down here for the Esthers anyway, the both of you. Okay. Oh, we will. So this is where yeah. we're coming for, for the Esthers. So we'll be walking along here away up to Little Venice, and it's absolutely oh. beautiful. You've probably seen some of the photographs already. Um, yeah. And it will be like this. It will be bright sunshine and beautiful days. Perfect. Something to look forward yeah. to, Anne-Marie, for us, yeah, isn't it? definitely, definitely. <laughs> so we're talking about painting pictures. Jim's doing a very good job of that this morning. Um, yeah. <laughs> in regards to inspiring your buyers, what, what kind of points do we think we're looking at here, Anne-Marie, for that? Um, well, um, investing good quality plans for a reputable architect uh, to demonstrate exactly how your home could offer a buyer the lifestyle they'd aspire to. Um, Get two or three quotes from recommended local contractors to give buyers a clear idea of the budget required, you know, which is really important. Um, it's all about that at the end of the day. Um, ask two or three local estate agents for their thoughts on how much value or plans would add to the home. Um, that's that's another one as well. And um, um, when you do come to sell, yeah, you need to work with an estate agent who will um, fill buyers with confidence about your home's potential. You know, as I was saying before, I'd walk around doing viewings. I'll let them know what they can do that may not necessarily be there yet. But sometimes people do need help to envisage how a house could look if it's not looking like that already. Um, you know, so it's a good one you actually said there, uh, Anne-Marie, about mm -hmm. asking two or three local estate agents for their thoughts on the plans. Uh, yeah. that'll, that'll separate the wheat from the chaff. I'll tell you, because uh, because I'll be honest and say a lot of them won't have a clue what you're talking about, and probably most of it will be waffle. Yeah, yeah. I know, because I've been there. I've done it. I've asked before. I've, before I was an estate agent, we all did. We all did this as well ourselves. And you, you, you know, the the so-called charlatans obviously reveal themselves when you start to ask them really difficult questions that are normally not mainstream to a estate agency. Yeah. This is why we advise people all the time to ask these key questions and, and put this in front of them and see see if see if there's a credible response you're actually getting. There yeah. is some really good estate agents out there which will understand this because they do this themselves. They do development themselves. They do property investment themselves. But there's few and far between. It's, yeah. You know, mo most most people, it's just a job. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And it's much more than that, Jim. Much more than and we know, we know that, you know, you need to sort of grill them on how they will sell the future to, um, you know, a potential buyer to let yeah. them see what they can do with, with you know, with, with the property potentially. Again, mm -hmm. it's all about potential sometimes. Um, also having like you, what you said about having good local contractors, um, because someone like myself and someone like a property management division, We've been in property management as a Lettons advisor, a Lettons agent for years and years and years. I've been in this for 30 years as a property investor. 
So you build up a really good reputable amount of people that you know are very credible and can do the job exactly how I would want it. Therefore, I endorse them as a result of it. That's mm-hmm. the only reason I endorse them. I get I a lot of people actually, you know, some some organisations get kickbacks from contractors for endorsing them. I, I, I get nothing. I don't mm-hmm. get anything. I don't expect any cheap fees from them either when it comes to get me to do a job. They're in a business. They've got to run a business. Got to pay their bills. Even though they go, oh, I'll give you the no, no. You you charge me the same as everybody else. You have to survive like everybody else. You're in business for yourself, mm-hmm. uh, and I know how difficult it is. So you have to make money. You don't give away things for free. Um, I insist that contractors uh, don't do that because it keeps them. It keeps them. It 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 keeps them. In the right frame of mind, it also keeps their business going and it also makes sure that when it comes to the right answer that you need, you know and trust that they'll give you the right answer because they're not relying on getting your business because they're, they're, they're made enough money to keep continuing to stay in business so they don't need to chase business all the time. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that makes sense to a lot of people. It's the contractor it has got a list as long as your arm when you phone them up and say, well, it's going to be Christmas by the time I get round to you. And you're like, oh, my God, <laughs> that's the person you want probably on your side to do the job because yep. you know everybody else is using them for that that very same reason. Mm-hmm. However, when it's people like me ask them and they've got a list till the end of Christmas, they will fit me in earlier and they'll fit our clients in earlier because we make sure we refer the right people who will pay them the right price and, and value what they do and actually on time as well. And that's important. They're not credit controllers. They're not having to chase money. We're actually making sure they get paid on time every time for the job that they're doing. And the value is added in what they actually do in that process overall. So that's yeah. why it's important to have a really good estate agent that has a really good client bank of trusted professionals, contractors that can do that job for you a lot quicker than everybody else can do it in a quality job at the same mm-hmm. time. I think you're right there, Jim. <clears throat> There's another angle to that as well, though, um, and we often talk about this, and you demonstrate that with the, the work that you do on the back of what we achieve as a team and as a company and as a business. Is, but it's also about giving back to your community, isn't it? And it's about making sure that in Fife our communities benefit from the work that we carry out, and that's the contractors being paid what they should be getting paid. It's about them then being able to spend in the community, live in the community, work in the community, and raise their families in the community, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I would agree. So it's a big um, factor to it. Big, big factor, yeah. Mm-hmm. So in regards to that then, that pretty much wraps up the major points. Um, so in summary, Jim, what, what, what have you taken from this? Get somebody with a track record and experience that's done this all already. Um, mm-hmm. Don't rely on somebody that's reinventing the wheel. Uh, make sure you've got someone that's... It's, it's probably been around for, God, I make myself feel old. <laughs> probably been around for a long time. More, and, but it's still doing this. It's still developing. It's still improving. It's still, it's still helping customers and still communicating with the right people and planning and also in building, uh, building control and letters of comforts and stuff like that and the proper architects. It's somebody that's actively doing this right now because the law and legislation changes all the time. And, and circumstances change all the time as well in terms of what they're what the planning's thinking. They're all on to themselves. I, I think they go to I think they go to college at some point in time at university and their brain gets removed and they get a planner's brain put in place. 
and, and it just becomes completely a different person when they come out of the process. It's uh, completely different laws and regulations. Um, so it is about, in a nutshell, just summarising that, it is about getting the right person that can advise you which what will add value to your property and potentially, more importantly, what will not add value to your property at all and probably lose your thousands. Because there yeah. is stuff, stuff that gets done. Uh, uh, you walk in the door and you think, oh my God, what did you do that for? You should have mm -hmm. called me first. It's mm -hmm. like, you have just devalued your property. It's like, oh, I took away the bedroom. I mean, this is a schoolboy error, taking away bedrooms and making bathrooms out of them. Mm -hmm. That's very few times that you'll ever add any value doing that. Mm -hmm. uh, but so taking away a bedroom is just a no-no but it's amazing how many people out there actually still do that and think it's going to add value to what they're doing because they've spent £50,000 in doing it mm -hmm. oh I'm going to get all that back no you're not because <laughs> you've, you've taken away a bedroom your house is now a, instead of a four bedroom it's a three bedroom mm -hmm. your price point is going to be completely different when it gets listed with all these other three bedrooms on right move because that's how it works it just goes yeah. to the price point it's like Five bedroom, four bedroom, five bedroom, six bedroom, five bedroom, four bedroom, three bedroom. Oh, three bedroom, really? It's like no looking at that one. Six bedroom, <laughs> four bedroom, five bedroom. Yeah. Uh, that's that's essentially what happens. So it's about it's more importantly as well about the planning process and building control and, and permissions and that. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's important to actually get someone that can tell you where you're not going to add value as well, so you yeah. don't lose money. That's a really important point, actually, you make there, Jim. And I was out at a property yesterday, and it was a family home, interestingly. Um, and they're kind of about growing the property and they wanted to try to make the lounge bigger, but they couldn't get planning permission to extend the property. Um, and at the back, at the end of the lounge from the hallway, the next room was a downstairs WC. Um, and they said, we're actually thinking about taking that WC out and just making the lounge bigger. And I said, but actually, if this is a family home, people want to have that WC because they've got young children. They want to be able to run right into yeah. the property and the children have that WC. So actually the potential is that you're going to devalue the house by doing that. Yeah. Yep. Because people want that as a requirement. We see that when registrations happen, they want that downstairs facility, don't yeah. they, Anne-Marie? Yeah, definitely. It's definitely yeah. a plus. So in yeah. regards to yourself, Anne-Marie, what's your takeaways or thoughts on today's show? I would say if you're planning um, any sort of, um, you know, planning permission extensions and you're after planning permission, you know, speak to the neighbours, especially if it's a little bit radical, you know, speak to the neighbours because once you get them on board, the process should run through a lot smoother because potentially that could be the sticking point when you're waiting mm -hmm. for it to go through because one of the neighbours yeah. has a problem with it, you know, so tell I'll get them, first. Tell them a lot earlier before you actually do it, just to, yeah. just to let it sink in. Because yes. a lot of people in their psyche get really upset mm. and then over the next two or three weeks they start to calm down and it becomes acceptable to them. Yeah. That's what happens typically in human behaviour. So yes. don't wait till the last minute to tell them, don't be fearful, mm. just get on with it, run it by them, just say, I'm thinking about, mm. yeah. that's all, because you're way before you've even done it yet, I'm thinking about, mm. and then, then let it settle in with them. Uh, they yeah. might have, oh my God, but what about this and what about, okay, that's fine, but I'm only thinking about it the night, that's all. I was just, I was just kind of gathering your thoughts and see what they say, but, but they will, if, if you end up doing it anyway, it'll be more acceptable to them rather than just springing on them without them knowing, because that's even worse. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. No one that. Yeah. And that's true, actually, and that could be down to basic things. So I know we're kind of going off the whole planning piece here, but that's basic things as well. Again, the same client that I was at yesterday went on holiday, came back, and the neighbour had put up a brand new fence with all the posts facing into their garden without even discussing putting a higher, bigger fence in. 
and that caused a lot of disruptions. So it's not even about big things. Little things actually could cause issues with, with neighbours. So yeah. think about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, my summary from it, I think it's do your, similar to you guys, really, is do your homework, get good advice, be prepared, um, and think about actually what your end goal is. So what is the journey that you're on? Because there's no point in starting something when actually it's not going to deliver what you needed at the end. So it's about understanding what your end point is as well, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, Jim, that's a beautiful view, Jim. Wonderful. Oh, who, who's that? That's, 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 Mrs. that's Mrs. Parker. <laughs> she really doesn't want to appear on camera. She probably doesn't realise she's on camera. Yeah. She's hiding in the background, waiting patiently. Bless her. She'll be getting a suntan sitting there, Jim. Um, so from us, that, that's pretty much it for the show today. Anne-Marie, thanks for joining us. Jim, thank you for welcome. sharing all your lovely views with us this morning. Yep. Um, You're welcome. If anybody has additional questions, feel free to message us. You can we can pick them up later on. And likewise, you can follow the podcast up. And there's other things that we've maybe mentioned in here that can direct you to our website. And there is plenty of good information shared out there. Feel free to help yourselves. And um, we've also now got a tour division as well, hosted by Mr. Parker, which is touring London. So you can check in on that this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Have a great time, everyone. Take care. See you guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.